want to welcome those on online as well, watching via Facebook or on our New Life website. It's great for you to join us as well. If you need a Bible, raise your hand if you have one. Go with me to the book of Acts chapter 5. The book of Acts chapter 5. Before I get into my message today, in your your bulletin, you should have received an insert that looks like, like this here. It says 2018 Spiritual uh, warfare workshop. Uh, we're going to have Dr. Ron Walborn and his wife, uh, Dr. Wanda Walborn, uh, from Nye College and Alliance Theological Seminary. Uh, Ron has been a mentor of mine over the past nearly 20 years, and um, we believe at New Life that what we need for the sake of transformation is uh, a life of spiritual formation and a life of spiritual power. And often we find ourselves stuck in strongholds and struck, stuck in uh, false narratives and in lies that really do damage to our souls. And we really need the power of God to, to wage war spiritually, as it were. And so next week, uh, there are going to be two sessions from 10 to 1 on spiritual warfare, uh, fighting defensively and offensively. And then session two will be the biblical basis for it, healing the demonized. We need, we need, uh, practices and new habits and we need, uh, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to transform us into who God wants us to be. And so if you want to uh, sign up for that, you can do so downstairs or online. It's a free event, but we'd like to, uh, registration is required. So, uh, this is brought to you by, uh, we, we have an inner healing and deliverance ministry at New Life, led by, by Rick and Pam Chow. Rick is one of our elders. Pam is one of our one of the leaders of our church. And um, for those of you who might not know, Rick, Pam, why don't you stand up for a second so folks just get to see you for a second. Just, yeah, you too. Stand, please. Uh, just, uh, so, and so... They lead this ministry, and um, if you're looking for, if you're stuck in your own life, or if you want to learn how to help people get unstuck uh, through prayer and such, uh, you can talk to them if you see them. Now, we are in a series focusing on living an authentic life, and today I'm going to talk about uh, what it means to go from, from lying into truth, from lies into truth. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 5, I'll come back there in a moment, but we cannot live an authentic life if we are uh, embracing falsehood. We need, we need the truth of God to lead us and guide us in the way that we should go. And so let's pray, let's invite the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, our hearts, to make our hearts receptive to everything he has uh, for us this day. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy which is so generously poured out on us every single morning. And Lord, you long to lead us into all truth. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you speak to us now, those of us in this room, those of us watching online, that we would, Lord, be transformed to the power of your name. We offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Uh, this week I came across a list that captured the various little lies that we tell from time to time. And as I looked at this list, I thought, yeah, I, I could see myself in that. I imagine you can see yourself in this list as well. There were no, there were about six or seven, actually about 15. I just highlighted about six of them. And I thought, yes, I think some of us can, can resonate with some of these lies. The first one is, I'm leaving now which sometimes means I'm still in bed. Um, another one is, uh, my phone died, which sometimes means I'm screening your calls. 
Another one is there's bad traffic, which sometimes means I didn't leave my house on time. Another one is I'm fine, which sometimes means I'm stressed, angry, disappointed, but you'll never know. And five, the fifth one is um, I'm busy that day, which means, yes, I'm busy, uh, busy watching TV. I don't, don't want to be at your event. Now, one could argue uh, more or less that these are harmless lies in the grand scheme of things, but the reality is that the more comfortable we get in spinning the truth, the more dangerous our lives become. Now, since I'm preaching a message on lying this week, uh, I think the Holy Spirit has been doing deep work in my soul. I've been aware of the ways that I uh, subtly and, uh, and insidiously spin the truth. On Friday, I was going to the library. I needed about three hours to work on my sermon. And so I said, Rosie, I need to go to the library. And as I'm walking out the house, my four-year-old son, Nathan, asks, where are you going? It's a question he always asks. Now, I could have just told him, I'm going to the office, going to the church office so that he would leave me alone. If I told him, I'm going to the library, he would say, I want to go with you. And then if I say no, he's going to make life miserable for his mother because he's going to scream the whole time why he didn't go with daddy to the library. And so he's, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the office. He said, the church office? I said, <laughs> no. Which office? A different office. Where is it? And so I'm thinking about lying. I, I said, it, it's, uh, it's in Long Island. Uh, is it the library? You know? <laughs> you know, get out of here. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. Get out of the house here. On Thursday night, we ordered Dominican food for dinner. And uh, amen. And... Um, Karis, my nine-year-old, as I'm about to order, she says, Dad, see if they have cheese empanadas. I want some cheese empanadas just with cheese. And so I said, okay. And so I placed the order. I forget to order a cheese empanada. And so the food comes. She comes, and she's so excited, and she comes to the bag, and she said, uh, is my cheese empanada there? And I immediately say, they didn't have any. They, they, they didn't have any. <laughs> And now I'm preaching a message on lying, and I'm so convicted at this point. And so like seven seconds pass by, and I go, actually, Karis, I forgot to order your cheese empanada. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And she was like, okay, that's, that's fine. But I was so distruck as to how fast I can just uh, say a lie just like that. How fast I can move into some kind of falsehood. And the issue of lying is something that pervades our world and it pervades our souls. We are, we are aware of lies spoken around the world. Lies spoken by pastors and religious leaders. Lies spoken by leaders in the highest levels of government. Lies spoken by CEOs and leaders of institutions who have misused their power. And of course, there are local lies. Lies at your workplace, lies in your department, lies in your home, and of course, lies in our hearts. Lying is everywhere. It was Rowan Williams, the former uh, archbishop down in, uh, in Canterbury in the UK, who said in a technological world as well, it's complicated because the, the rise of the internet means that lies and misunderstanding now spread around the world faster than the truth. 
The danger of lying is that if we do it enough, we actually begin to believe it. And if we hear it enough, we are seduced to seeing it as the truth. And when you believe a lie, you're not free. And when you live a lie, you're not free. And so what I want us to grasp this morning is this simple truth that the degree to which we live in truth is the degree to which we are free. The degree to which we live in the truth is the degree to which we are free, that God has called us to be free. He's called us to live with integrity and in truth. And in our passage this morning, we come across a married couple in the church who lived the lie and we see the tragic outcome. In Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1, hear the word of the Lord. It says, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The book of Acts tells us the story of the church. After Jesus dies and resurrects, he spends 50 days with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God. He tells them that just in a few days, they will receive supernatural power that will enable them to live in a way that they could not live before. And so the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, is poured out. And what you see from this point on is radical power and transformation. The church experiences a boldness like it never had before. They are preaching and proclaiming the Lord, the Lordship of Jesus before hostile powers. In addition to that, the church is experiencing signs and wonders. People are being healed. Paralyzed people are being raised and walking. Followers of Jesus are exhibiting the same power that Jesus showed in the Gospels. Moreover, when the Holy Spirit comes, a new family is created. The barriers that keep pe that kept people separate are now being torn down. Jews are now with Gentiles. Rich are now with the poor, male and female. 
What might be the most telling sign of transformation is the church lives very freely with their resources. They experience a radical generosity. They have a new relationship with their money. And so they see needs in the community and they sell their property. And so at the end of chapter four, right before this story, it says these words. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought it, brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is radical, all of this. Let's say Barnabas lived in Queens for a moment. The average home in Queens is about six hundred to 700000 upwards of six hundred to $700,000. Barnabas would sell his apartment in Queens which is probably, that's what we're paying now for a one-bedroom apartment these days here. And he would give all of the money to the apostles for the sake of the community. All this is wonderful. Generosity, power, love. But then a crisis hits the church. And this was really the first crisis in the church. And the crisis came because of lying. When we look at the story, we need to ask ourselves, How much of our lives is marked by lying? How much of our lives is marked by pretending? In verse 1 again, it says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, we don't know all the specifics, but we can try to imagine the scene. I imagine Ananias and Sapphira are hanging at home one day. They are both on their phones on social media. The apostle Peter posts a video sharing how Barnabas sold his property. The entire community is writing comments all over Peter's video. They're so happy that Barnabas is part of their community. They're liking Barnabas's profile picture. I mean, they love Barnabas because of his generosity. And as Ananias sees all the love that Barnabas is getting, Ananias, his heart is hardened. He wants that kind of praise. He wants that kind of attention. And so he has a strategy in mind to put forth himself as something he is not. And so he talks to his wife, Sapphira. He says, why don't we sell our property But instead of giving all the money, let's keep back some for ourselves. And so they sell the property. Instead of giving it all, they hold back the money, but they put the money at the apostles' feet as if they sold it all and gave it all. And at this moment, the Holy Spirit, it seems, gives Peter a word of knowledge. This is the problem with the church. God will start telling people stuff. And the Holy Spirit gives Peter a word of knowledge. And in that moment, I imagine as the money is being put, the Lord speaks to Peter. And Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit 
and kept uh, for yourself some of the money you have received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Now, the issue, to be clear, was not that they kept money back for themselves. They could have given the money and said, listen, we can't afford to give it all, but please take half of what our home is worth. But no, they lie. They put forth themselves as something they are not, something that's not true. And then it says, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. The story doesn't stop there. It says three hours later, Sapphira comes into church with her Gucci bag (laughs) and her coach sunglasses. And Peter looks at her and says, Sapphira, is this the, the bag of money here that we have? Is this the amount that you got for the land you sold? And she said, absolutely. And then Peter says, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband. Great fear, you think, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, if you see two people dying in front of you, you start telling the truth real quick. You won't be able to spell lie. I can't even spell it. I I, I just. Now, the question is, why is this included in the Bible? This would be a good story to erase, a good story to delete from the Bible. But why did the early church want this in the scriptures? I believe they wanted to establish from the very beginning that the church is to be marked by truth and not deception. The The church is to be marked by integrity and not by lying. Imagine if this wasn't recorded in the Bible. The church would easily find its home in deception and not truth. And so God is letting the church know and letting us know that our lives are to be marked by integrity. Our lives are to be marked by truth. Now, some of you might say, but is it that serious? What about small lies? And to that, what I'd say is, When we are not bothered, when our conscience is not bothered by lying, over time, our lying has a way of forming us into something we are not, and our lives get so divided. And we actually go from just telling lies to becoming a lie. Our entire life is built around falsehood, and your soul is poisoned by lying. The community that we are part of is poisoned by lying, and the reality is, what we have to confess, is that most of us, on a regular basis, lie to some degree. I read a statistic that said that one in five people can't make it through a day without telling a conscious, premeditated lie. We lie all the time. We lie about our struggles. Many people in the church are struggling with many different things. But when asked about this particular struggle, we say, no, I'm fine. I have that under control. We lie about our achievements, making our resumes look much more impressive than it should. We lie about who we know. We lie about what we've done. We lie about how we're feeling. Now, not every lie is as consequential as the next, but lying damages community. 
and lying poisons our souls. Now, the question is, why do we lie? And the answers are plenty. Why do we lie? And, and, and as I've been looking at my life and in conversations with others, there are many reasons why we lie. Some of us, we lie because we don't want to hurt anyone. It was Stanley Harawas, an ethicist um, and theologian, he said, I think we lie often not because we're liars, but because we're moderately good people who don't want to hurt anyone. And therefore, we oftentimes restrain ourselves from saying what needs to be said because we don't want to live with the results. I think about this often when I watch talent shows on TV like American Idol. Every episode, I ask myself this question, did this contestant not have a friend who could tell them the truth that you can't sing? Did they not have a friend who could say, mm, I don't think you should do that. I think that's a bad idea. But we lie because we don't want to hurt anyone. And we're moderately good people. And so we don't want to lie because we don't want to hurt anyone. We, we, we don't lie as well because we want to come across as competent. Have you read this book? Of course I read that book. Do you know this? Of course I know this. But we don't want to come across as being incompetent. And so we lie. Of course I know. Then we get on Google real quick. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I, I can talk about that. We lie because we want to escape danger. We're in a bad situation, a tough spot. We want to escape danger. When I was in high school, I, there was one year that I had that I was, I skipped chemistry, the chemistry class every day. Not just like a few, every, I just, I'm not going. And it was the last day, last class of the school year, of the, of the, of the day. And when the report card came, it showed all the absences I had from the other classes. And it was like three and four and I, the, the, the other, I was skipping other classes. And it was like three and four. But when it got to like the chemistry, it was like 39, you know, it was like 39. And my mother said, what's this about? And I said, oh, that's a typo. That's got to be a typo. That's got, and I, why? I'm escaping danger right now. I'm going to be in big trouble. I'm going to escape danger. We lie to escape danger. We, we lie to, to, to gain an advantage, to secure power, to maintain our power. We lie. We lie to, to cover our shame. We don't want to, uh, to confess who we are and what we've done because it's the power of shame is so, is, is so powerful in our lives. And so we lie to cover our shame. We lie ultimately because we want to be loved. We want to be accepted. And fundamentally, beneath all of these lies, and there are plenty more reasons, beneath all of these lies is, the, is we lie because we have fundamentally believed the lie. We lie because we have believed a deeper lie. And this is what makes lying so dangerous. At the core of our lies is the truth that we are trapped by a deeper lie. And the deeper lie is that God is not for you. That God does not love you. This is the original lie in the garden. That God is holding back on you. That God doesn't love you. That God is not for you. And so the antidote to lying is certainly telling the truth. But more specifically, it's, it's embracing the truth that I am loved by God. That when you have an identity that's based on God's love and God's acceptance, there's no need to build a false identity. There's no need to lie our way through life to be accepted. Why? Because you're already accepted by God. And yet the evil one seduces Ananias and Sapphira. 
into believing lies. Now remember in verse three, Peter, the apostle Peter says, he says these words, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? And what Peter is getting at is the reality that Satan is the father of lies. All he speaks is lies. It's his native tongue. That's what Jesus says. And somehow when our lives are marked by falsehood, somehow we are being influenced by demonic powers in the world. Now, Ananias and Sapphira, I believe they lost track of their true identity. Remember, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. The life of God, the love of God, the grace of God has been poured out, but yet they lost track of their core identity being God's grace, God's power, God's love, and they opened themselves up to demonic powers. And we don't know what Satan said to them, but you can believe that at the core of Satan's lie is this, you can't trust God's love. God is not for you. You can't trust God's character. You can't trust God's provision. And this is the original lie. The evil one in the, uh, let's uh, Adam and Eve know in the garden, God is holding back on you. He's not for you. He doesn't love you. And we hear this over and over and over again. The evil one says, you can't trust God with your future. You can't trust God with your mistakes. So you need to lie your way out of them. You can't trust God with your finances. And yet, as the the people of God, we gather together to confess the truth of God's love for us. Ananias and Sapphira, they lost their way. I can imagine what Satan put in their heart was this. They said, "We, we we can't give all the money because who knows if God is going to provide for us. And they probably heard the evil one say, if you give all this money, God is not for you. You're going to be broke and poor, homeless, you're going to die. And as a result, out of fear, perhaps because they, did, they heard this lie that God is not for them, they lie, they spin the truth, they, they present falsehood. And yet we gather as the people of God to confess the truth that God is for you. And that God loves you with an everlasting love. Listen, we can try harder not to lie. But at the end of the day, if our identity is something we have to create, we will lie over and over and over again because we will never measure up. And so we need the truth of God's spoken identity over us. This is why Jesus, and before he goes into his, his public ministry, he's baptized, he comes out, the father says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. The father just pours out grace and love over the son. And right after he goes, he gets baptized, he goes into the wilderness, and the first person he meets is the evil one who wants him to doubt this identity wants him to take on a different kind of identity, a false identity. But Jesus has received the Father's love. It's too deep in him. And because it's too deep in him, he's able to withstand the lies of the evil one that says God is not for you. And when you accept the truth that God is for you and God loves you, there's no need to build a life on lies. There's no need to build a life based on falsehood. And so the truth is God, listen, God is for you. God loves you. God wants to live, wants you to live in that space so that there's no need to lie. You're secure in your identity. You don't have to spin the truth and make yourself something you're not because you are already received and accepted by God. And the pathway out of a life of lying and falsehood is really confession. 
It's confessing particular truths about our lives. And what I want to do is I want to lead us into some confessions, confessions that are to mark our hearts and our words. And before we take communion together, I want to just offer three simple confessions that really lead us into truth. And they're very simple. How do we move out of falsehood into truth? Well, we we need confessions. Our lives are to be marked by confessions. And the first confession that I believe we need to be ready on our lips is the words, forgive me. The confession, forgive me. When we make a mistake, we often make it worse by lying. And we get caught in this downward spiral. Whether you've made a step towards an adulterous relationship or to misappropriating finances, the invitation for us is to come quickly, forgive me, before God, of course, and before others, forgive me. Because we go down a road and we make it worse and we entangle ourselves in falsehood. But we are to be quick to confess, forgive me, Lord, and then to others. Why? Because to maintain falsehood destroys you and destroys community. There's a story about Brendan Manning, one of my favorite authors. He died a few years ago, and he writes about the radical grace of God. And he's from Louisiana, and when Hurricane Katrina hit, it devastated the region. But for some reason, he told a story about his involvement in helping people through the hurricane. He exaggerated. He told stories that weren't true. And an article was written about him in Christianity Today about his heroics. And so this whole thing about how wonderful he was, and he's an elderly man, and how great he did, and how he helped people here and there. And it got out, and five days after it got out, people are praising him, and he calls Christianity Today to essentially let them know that wasn't the truth. The editors, they had to put, uh, you know, from the editors before the article to, to clarify some things. And this is what they said. They said, we regret to inform our readers that following this on-the-record conversation, Brennan Manning called our office to apologize. He reiterated that he had been disoriented, confused, and depressed lately, and that certain details he provided were not true. He could not help, he did not help identify a child from his apartment complex. He did not help an elderly woman get a ride. And while he was the last one to leave his apartment complex, the truth is that there was nobody around here for me to help, he said in a voice message to Christianity Today. The essential truth, I lied. Now we might ask, why would he lie? Well-known author, highly esteemed by many. And yet, that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Yet, I deeply appreciate how a well-known figure like Brendan Manning could say, I lied. Forgive me. Most people, especially public figures, would take that lie to the grave. They would never say, I lied. And yet, we are invited to do the same. Forgive me. Forgive me. The second confession, how do we move out of falsehood into truth, is the confession, save me. Save me. And this is a confession that we need to say with regularity because we are often tempted by the evil one into falsehood. And by saying, save me, we're saying, Lord, I am, I am so weak. 
I'm so prone to falsehood. Rescue me, save me, deliver me. This past week, listen, in, 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 in preparing a message on lying, this is the problem with preaching, why you should not wish to be a preacher. Because God will start bringing stuff up in you. And I was just aware of the ways that I am tempted to spin the truth and go into falsehood and exaggerate and do all these things here. And I many times had to say, Lord, save me. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lord, I'm so prone to, to falsehood. Save me. This is why Jesus, when he, when, he, when he tells us to pray in the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He's saying, you are so weak. And the evil one's lies are so powerful. And if you believe the evil one's lies, you will be led into falsehood. Lord, deliver me from the evil one. Save me. And this needs to be on our lips on a regular basis. Lord, save me. I want to live in truth. Save me. I don't want to have my life marked by falsehood. Lord, forgive me. Save me. And the third confession is, bless me. Now, this might sound strange to say, bless me, because it sounds like a selfish prayer when you're talking about lying. We often think about blessing in materialistic ways, but to be blessed by God at its core is to hear the truth about God's love for us. To say, bless me, is to say, Lord, I'm prone to self-deception because of my sin, but if you bless me, I will live from my true identity in you, not needing to pretend any longer. And sometimes all it takes is to hear and experience a word of God's blessing and acceptance and love over us so that we can live in truth. Because when you are named by God and identified by God, there's no need to make a name for yourself. There's no need to build an identity for yourself. You are already accepted. You are already loved. There's no need to make a name for yourself. Now, I want to end this message before we take communion with a story about one of the most famous liars in the Bible. It's in the book of Genesis about a guy named Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham. And Jacob had a twin brother, named Esau, and they were rivals, always at odds with each other. And one day, Jacob is making some soup at home, some good soup, and Esau comes in after a long day, and he's starving, and he says, give me some of that soup. And Jacob says, well, give me your birthright first, your inheritance first. And Esau says, take my birthright. Now, the soup must have been really good. Or something else was happening there. Jacob gives Esau this bowl of soup. Now Jacob has this inheritance. And Esau despises his brother. Some years later, when their father Isaac was old, he couldn't see. And he called for his son Esau to make him his favorite meal. Because he wants to give him his blessing. He's about to die. And so he says, Esau, I want you to go out into the field and, and go out, get an animal, make me my favorite soup. And after I have the soup, I'm going to bless you. Esau says, fantastic. He goes out into the field. 
Now, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, overhears these words, and she's, she starts to lie herself. Wonder where Jacob gets it from, and invites Jacob to lie as well. Rebecca says, I heard your father is ready to bless your brother. So she said, quick, go out, get a quick animal, come back, I'll make the soup. I know how he likes the soup. I'll make it, and then you can give it to him, making believe you're his brother, and he will receive the blessing. But Jacob said, Mom, Esau is a hairy man, and I have smooth skin. Dad will know I'm not him. And so his mother went and and covered Jacob's neck and his hands with the hair of goats, which begs the question, how hairy was Esau, all right? I mean, man. The story continues. It says, he went to his father and said, my father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who are you? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find this so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God, gave me success, he replied. He's using, he's lying in the name of Jesus now. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked? Like one more time, give him an opportunity. And he said, I am. And he proceeds to bless his son Jacob. Ten minutes later, Esau comes in with his soup. Dad, I got your soup. And he says, what do you mean you got my soup? I just blessed you. He goes, no, you didn't. I was out there. And he says, and then he realizes his son, his brother tricked him again. And, he, and, and it's, it's actually a heart-wrenching story. He goes, Father, is there another blessing for me? Is there another one? And he goes, there's no more. I ran out. I just had one. And, and, and at that moment, Esau despises his brother Jacob some more. He wants to kill him. He says, when my father dies, I'm going to kill my brother. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Jacob hears that. Jacob leaves. And for 20 years, we follow Jacob's life. About the 20th year or so, Jacob is about to have an encounter with his brother Esau. He realizes it's time to go face-to-face as well. He's been living a lie for so long, living deceptive, deceiving everyone along the way. And he's, he's about to meet Esau the next day, and he's terrified, thinking his, his brother is going to kill him. And so Jacob, one night, is alone. It's dark, and he meets God. God encounters Jacob, and Jacob begins to wrestle. He doesn't know it's God. He begins to wrestle with this human being. It's, he thinks it's a human being, but it's actually God. And I love that Jacob's story doesn't end with a lie. He's about to meet his brother Esau, and, and, and most of his life is marked by deception. He's probably thinking, I've lied all of my life. I can't change right now. And some of you probably think, I've been lying for so long. 
for me to step into truth right now is so difficult. And God meets him in the middle of the night. And God works to redeem Jacob. And I love that as God is wrestling with Jacob, he takes Jacob back to the same question his father asked him 20 years prior. What's your name? When Isaac asked him that question, he said, Esau. And he received a blessing. God takes him right back to that same question saying, Jacob, we have work to do. We're going to get it right. What is your name? And Jacob responds, Jacob, which means deceiver. And right in that spot, God says, you will no longer be called Jacob. You will be called Israel, which means prince with God. For you have wrestled with God and you've lived to see the day. The wrestling was really about truth. God is wrestling with Jacob. Yes, there's physical wrestling, but the wrestling was Are you going to be true to who you really are? And once he confesses, this is who I really am, God meets him with a new identity. God gives him a new name. God gives him a new future. And the sooner we come to terms with our falsehood, the sooner we come to terms with who we really are, the sooner we get a new identity from God, the sooner we get a new future from God, the sooner we get a new name from God. And the invitation, very simply, is to confess. This is who I am. But confession in the hands of God leads us to a new name, a new identity, a new future. The the way out of lying is not just to try harder to tell the truth. The way out of lying is to receive a new identity from God. And once we receive a new identity from God, there's no need to lie any longer. There's no need to spin the truth. There's no need to walk in falsehood. I know who I am. I am God's. He has named me. He has given me a new identity. He's given me a new future. You're no longer Jacob. You're Israel. I wonder what God would say if he were to say, this is who I am. God has a new name for each and every one of us in this room. One marked by grace. One marked by love. But it begins with confession. Let's pray together. We're going to come to the table of communion. And we come to the table of communion, which is a table of grace and mercy. It's a table of truth of who Jesus is. We are invited to come to a table of grace, and yet God invites us to confession first. Certainly it's grace that leads to repentance, and yet this grace cannot come in its fullness unless we recognize who we are and confess first. Where are you lying? Where in your life are you pretending? Where are you living in falsehood? This is not a message to shame us. This is a message to set us free. 
because the degree to which we live in the truth is the degree to which we are free. Lord Jesus, Lord, the evil one's power is so great and Lord, we are so weak so often and so we ask that you would forgive us, save us, bless us. Lord, may our lives be marked by truth and not falsehood. And Lord, truly, when we live in truth, we are free. No need to hide. No need to spin the truth. We are free. Lead us into that today, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said. Let's all stand together. Before we come to the table, we'll pray this confession together and when you come to the table take the bread dip it in the cup go right back to your seat and just hold it there I'll come back up to lead us together and as you're holding the bread that's been dipped in the cup may the Holy Spirit bring to mind areas that you need to say forgive me save me bless me let's pray this prayer of confession together almighty God our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you through our own faults, in thoughts, in word, in deed, in what we have done, in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Please come forward. Is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? I will
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As the people of God, forgiven by Jesus, let's all take together. have our prayer team come to my left. We close every gathering with prayer because we believe it's the power of God to break chains off of us. And some of you today, you come to church, you're watching online, and you've been ensnared, you've been caught. And for some of you, it's been a week, it's been a month, it's been years that you've held on to lies and falsehood, and yet you know you're not free. And it was Richard Rohr, this is not easy, it was Richard Rohr who said that the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. And that's the reality of telling truth. It's a journey, it's it's a crucifixion. It's allowing ourselves to be crucified, but for the sake of resurrection. And so our prayer team is here to pray for you. My hope is that um, you would move a little towards the truth today and throughout the course of this week that we would be aware of our speech 
that we would say very quickly, forgive me when we get it wrong. We would ask the Lord, save us, bless us. May we live, Lord, so deep in your love there's not even any need to lie. We are accepted in you. Our prayer team is here, so whatever needs you have, please come forward. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. Some of you, you came to church today. You're not even a Christian. And because you're not a Christian, the truth of Jesus is not in you. Truth ultimately is not something we say. Truth is a person. It is God. It is the Son of God. And the way into truth out of falsehood is to allow the way, the truth, and the life to invade your hearts and transform your life. And if you sense God calling you to himself today, our prayer team is here. We love to pray for you and wait here as long as we need. But with your hands and your hearts, in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God may the Lord bless you and may he keep you make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace and may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit walking into all truth and putting away falsehood in the name of Jesus and may the Holy Spirit empower you to live in reality out of illusion, to live in truth out of falsehood. And may you experience joy in life and peace because you've moved closer to the light of truth. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the truthful name of Jesus and the people of God said, Amen. Grace and peace to you all.